windmill. Was that a yawn? <laughs> Daylight savings. bars on the top of the slides there. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hello, Sharon. 
Hi, Tim. Good morning, everyone. And 
it's exciting to see how many of us made it here when an hour earlier. So glad you're here. So our call to worship words this morning are adapted from Invitation to Join the Journey by Lynn Cox. Come, you accidental pilgrims, you who find yourself on a journey of surprise and wonder. Come, you who emerge into this place as an act of liberation. Come, you who seek a life of mindfulness and a place to test your thoughts. Come, you who bring hearts of all kinds, heavy hearts, rusty hearts, hearts broken open in revelation, hearts full of love to share. Come you who seek courage and you who have more courage than you realize. Come you who have been in a bubble, you who are poised for transformation. This path will ask much from us. Let us move forward with love. Let us move forward with appreciation for one another. Let us move forward knowing we are not alone. Whoever you are, whatever your gifts, you are welcome to join this journey. Let us come together in worship. We acknowledge that the land we gather on as a congregation, where we live, work, and play, was not freely given to us. We are gathered on the ancestral land of the Nutu, Nutu or Ute, Apache, the Pueblos, Hopi, Zuni, and Diné Nation. This was also a site of trade, gathering, and healing for other Native tribes. We recognize the Indigenous peoples as original stewards of this land. As these words are spoken and heard, the ties nations have to their ancestral homelands are renewed and reaffirmed. We acknowledge that our use of and benefit from this land came at a dire cost to Native nations and the peoples whose land we now inhabit. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Durango and our online worship service. I'm Bonnie Miller, a member of UUFD and today's volunteer host for the Sunday service. Reverend Margaret Weiss says, the church is not a place, it is a people. The church is the gathering together of all the people and experiences and fear and love and hope in our resilient hearts gathering however we can to say to the world, welcome, come in, lay down your heartache and pick up hope and love. For the church is us, each and every one of us, together a beacon of hope to this world that so sorely needs it. So we are here for each other, even in this virtual space, and our arms are open to all who care to join our journey in search of truth and meaning. You are welcome in a Unitarian Universalist church, no matter your racial identity, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, or theology. We are people of all ages, people of many backgrounds, beliefs, and perspectives. We share a common commitment to encourage and challenge one another to spiritual growth. Joining me in leading today's worship, 
service are Cheryl Guy as worship associate, James Mirabal assisted by Dennis McClure providing tech support, Shannon Beaver, our greeter, choir director Elizabeth Crawford, classical pianist Marilyn Garst, and guest soloist Taylor Smith. And we are pleased to welcome to our pulpit our guest minister, Reverend Denise Cauley. Reverend Denise is a UU minister who serves the Unitarian Universalist Community Church of Washington County, Hillsboro, Hillsboro Oregon. She is also a renowned fiber artist in addition to being a pivotal player in diversity, inclusion, marriage equality, and voting rights for three decades. She and her creative son, Aiden, and their fluffy dogs live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then finally, as part of our pledge campaign, we will hear today from member Mary Oaken about why she chooses to give. And next Sunday, remember, we'll hear one more testimonial. And then that afternoon between one and three, we'll have our dazzled drive through So come join us. There's some fun waiting for you. We have one special request to everybody. So next Sunday, the UU congregation in Las Cruces, New Mexico is gonna be joining us for our worship service. And as a fun way to help connect us, there's a little shot, slideshow that's going to be put together of pictures of our congregations. So if you can, sometime this week, would you send a photo of yourself during the pandemic I'll leave that to your imagination, what kind of picture you might want to do, and send it to Reverend Katie. Her email address is minister at durangouu.org, and you can see that in the chat line. If you are not currently a member of UUFD, welcome to our worship service. We're really glad that you're joining us today. And if you're looking for a spiritual home or you've been thinking about membership, you can type a message in the chat line to Shannon Beaver. She's our Community Connections Coordinator. And if you sign our digital guest book, which you'll see in the chat line, we'll put you on our list to receive our weekly announcements and our monthly newsletter. And now let's light our chalice, the symbol of our faith. As our friends Robert and Susie Bow light our chalice this morning, you are invited to speak the words of the affirmation, our congregational covenant. To allow you to acknowledge the peace of these sacred words, please keep yourself muted. And the words are also printed in the chat line. Join with me. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is its sacrament and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve human need. For these high purposes, do we unite in worship. And now's the time where you don't need to be quiet. We're going to invite you, if you'd like, to unmute your mic. And if you haven't had a chance to say hello and greet your neighbors and friends this morning, please do so now. Hi everybody. Hello. 
I found myself as I was listening to all our voices, having a greater sense of that anticipation for that time when we fill our sanctuary with our voices. You, you, uh, James Luther Adams said, church is a place where you get to practice what it means to be human. A particular feature of being human is the capacity to not only personally experience joy and sorrow, but to offer compassion, care, and understanding to our fellow human beings in the midst of their pain or joy. Our ritual of sharing each Sunday our joys and sorrows allows us to practice vulnerability and empathy and strengthen our connection. If you have a joy or sorrow to share today, you can ask for a candle to be lit by typing your name in the chat box to everybody, and that lets us know you have something to share. Share. Cheryl will call on you, then unmute yourself and share your joy or sorrow. And then we'd ask that during this time, you hold off on other chats so that it's easier for Cheryl to scream through and see it in who it is that would like to speak. And if you aren't on the speaker view on your device right now, you might want to switch it using those three little dots up in the corner so you can easily see who is sharing. And I'd like to start by lighting one candle. We've been doing this each Sunday as a way of continuing to remember the losses that we felt from all those who have died as a result of the virus. Our first uh, sharing this morning is Robert and Susie. Um, we do want to say that we did lose Mandy this week, our four-legged friend, um, and uh, we didn't realize it was going to be this fast, but uh, so I just mm -hmm. wanted to kind of let everybody know that we did lose her this week. Mm -hmm. Down to one dog. <laughs> we light this candle. Catherine B. Yes, I have two joys. Um, I received the vaccine. I had a really tough time with the vaccine. I had a really tough time with it, but got through it. And psychologically, it's making a lot of difference to me. The second is I'm really grateful this week for the understanding about the world I live in, specifically the US society that I live in from a wonderful book focused on the work of the economist Keynes, um, Maynard Keynes, called The Price of Peace. And it explains a great deal about how this society was set up and works in the, um, in the, uh, the things that happened in the, in the 40s that made it the way it is right now. It's, it's both disturbing and very enlightening, and it is a great joy. Thank you. And so we light this candle. Kathleen A. Kathleen, you want to unmute yourself? I'm reflecting on the time since uh, that's been going on since September with buzzing from a variety of corners of this church to gather us together for the stewardship campaign. The amazing uh, teamwork collaboration creativity and enthusiasm that's gone into this. Thank you to all who've been involved so far and all the rest of you coming up. Thank you very much. 
And so we light this candle. Does anyone else have any joys or concerns? Oh, here we go. Um, Benji, Sarah. Sarah G, you want to unmute yourself? No. I'm using Benji's computer, so I'm struggling a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a PC and she doesn't really know how to use it. That's true. Um, so I just wanted to light a candle of joy and hope. Um, last year about this time, you may recall that we um, shared our grief about our Ken's son, my stepson, Alex, who had a, a spinal cord injury. And um, just, uh, you know, 365 days later, just want to share that he's doing well. Um, and he's uh, still in Boston, applied for graduate school, took the GMAT, um, learning how to function in his new body. But he, he sent us all a great video showing him getting from ground to chair. And um, the, the strength he's shown in this last year has been incredible. So we're really proud of him and we're thankful for all the support that we received from you guys. And just wanted to update you to let you know he's, um, he's learning to thrive in his new body. Thank you. And we light this candle. Laurie M. Good morning. I would like to ask everybody to please continue to hold the people of Myanmar in your thoughts and prayers as they struggle with um, their daily lives and the injustices going on in that country. Thank you. And so we light this candle. Liza. Um, just lighting a candle of concern for Peter and a thanks for those of you who brought us some wood. Uh, ironically, we can't burn fires right now. We need to clean our chimney. <laughs> um, also, um, candle of concern for finding a rental for our Cuban asylee family. So um, hoping that if anyone knows of a possible rental in the county, that you will let me know. Thank you so much. And we light this candle. I don't see anyone else listed. Does anyone else like to share this morning? Um, I believe we have a testimonial. Yes, we do. So we light one last candle for those things which remain in our hearts and while silent, carry much weight in their hearts. And now we'd like to invite our member, Mary Oaken, to share for us today. And we light a candle for her and for all those who have been willing to share from their hearts their testimony about the importance of our church in their lives. We've all had a challenging year. I've been reflecting during this anniversary of the COVID shutdown. For us personally, it was life-changing, especially for my husband, Jeff. He lost his father to COVID this year, but he also lost a good paying job of over 16 years due to COVID layoffs. We lost our paid health insurance. Through all the uncertainty and all the emotional challenges, he managed to find a new and gratifying job, but it's now paying a fraction of what he was before. Yet with support, we found ways to adapt. While it's been a year of losses, it's also been a year of resilience. 
my neighbor joined me in our backyard and she helped turn the soil and plant and weed in exchange for an abundance of vegetables. So we both had kind of our own mini community garden and it was a good way to visit while being COVID safe. I've also appreciated how various workplaces adapted and was grateful to work from home. Local retailers accommodated COVID safety precautions and implemented curbside deliveries. And I like those clever bump outs downtown. But most of all, most of all, I saw how this fellowship took on the challenge head on and began a rapid transition into virtual services and offering even more help to so many people in need. Knowing that keeping connections was more important than ever, we adapted quickly to offering Sunday services online, preserving much of our sense of belonging and support. What an amazing feat and a huge learning curve for everyone. And yet, what a valuable service to our community when so many aspects of life seem to be in such chaos. I'm proud to be a volunteer alongside this resilient, committed, and creative worship team. Reverend Katie and the members of the caring team were also, I'm sure, very loaded with so many people struggling this year. They are indeed, as one person said in last week's candles, the angels of this fellowship. Like many of you, I received a caring card now and then from fellow members that brightened my day. I also popped in once in a while on the Saturday afternoon connections, enjoying discussions on various topics. I experienced deep gratefulness for all the support this fellowship has provided. I was especially buoyed by the covenant group that I'm part of. UUFD members cluster in small groups to meet monthly, currently over Zoom, to hold meaningful, heartful conversations about what it means to be human in this changing world. Our covenant group has built a level of trust and heartfelt sharing that has been a provided balm to these funky days. With all the unprecedented challenges we've faced this year, this fellowship has shown incredible resilience, fortitude, and courage, and the results have been astounding. Share the Plate has helped so many local organizations offer even more support to people in our community. And the food drive for the Diné people was absolutely amazing. And at the core of it all, the messages presented on Sunday are always an inspiration, bringing comforting words and thoughtful consideration to our days. I'm so very grateful to have had this grounding support that UUFD has provided me this year, helping me and so many others keep solid footing during a very rocky year. This year, like no other, UUFD's community of caring, spirituality, and service has deeply inspired me. And so even though our combined income has dropped significantly, I want to support the good that happens here even more and I commit to increasing our donation to the fellowship by 8% this year. This fellowship has helped me endure one of the most challenging years of my life. And I feel it's important that such a place can continue to serve our community. Like the flame in our burning chalice, it takes fuel to keep a flame burning brightly. Won't you join me in expanding your contribution? and the pledge to give just as much as you're able, maybe even stretch it a bit. 
this place does so much good for so many people. Together, we endure. Together, we give wholeheartedly. Together, we keep our chalice burning brightly. Thank you. I want to tell you how happy I am to be here with you. I met your minister at the UU History Convocation, um, I think it's a year and a half ago, and she heard me speak and wanted me to bring this to all of you. So today you're going to meet one of my heroes, and I hope she becomes one of your heroes, one of our Unitarian ancestors, Reverend Dr. Florence Bach. And we're going to start by an address she gave to a meeting of the Unitarian Sunday School Society in May of 1919. And that's why I say Unitarian and not Unitarian Universalist. We weren't combined then. She writes, we are trying to cultivate right responses to the situation which life itself presents. It is necessary, first of all, that we get clearly in mind our real aim of the church school. It is threefold. I shall indicate the parts of it by three short familiar words as aids to our memory. See, Florence Buck was always a teacher. That's what she was first. Know, be, and do. Number one, our first aim is that our pupils shall know some of the things needful about religion. This is the knowledge aim of our school. Our second aim is that she shall be the best sort of people. This is the character aim. Our third aim is that they shall do the best they know. This is the right conduct and service aim. Now you need to know that Florence Buck was a scientist and when she went to college in the 1800s, she first studied biology and chemistry. And she says to the Sunday School Society, all the teachers that were gathered to teach religious education, she says, let me put this in more scientific terms. Our first aim is that the pupil shall gain fruitful knowledge. We may not try to impart all the knowledge in choosing what we would have them know. We must first seek for that which is valuable for conduct in life. Two, we seek to develop right attitudes of mind and spirit. This, as we know, is one of the best elements of a liberal faith. One's bent of mind, one's interests and loyalties, one's desire for truth are the attitudes which determine what his character shall be. Religious instruction, which seeks to develop attitudes, is very different from that which seeks merely to impart the rules of life by knowledge and creeds. She was really separating out how we were a covenantal faith even then. Number three, our turmoil in recent years, and she was referring to World War I, three fundamentals have become clear. One, Right is the true basis of human association. She is emphasizing the importance of community and the interconnected web. Two, moral obligations rest upon nations as well as individuals. 
three. The weak must be protected against the aggressions of the strong. Can you see the UU principles forming here? She was foreshadowing them. They weren't written yet. Lots of people think that's the basis of Unitarian Universalism, but it's actually covenant. The principles came later. She writes, now these are essentially religious principles and every great religious teacher has declared them for they formed an essential message of the Hebrew, Hebrew prophets, especially the greatest of them all, the founder of Christianity. These principles apply both to governments and associated groups within, within governments. That's the whole of life. They are religion in action, the core of democracy. You'll hear more about her later.
Now today I'm going to tell you a story about my friend Florence Buck. This is a picture of her and I'm going to tell all of you, especially the children, about her horse. Now Florence um, grew up in a place called Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that's way east from where you all live. But the funny thing is back then that was considered the Wild West. And there was um, a lot of desire to have more Unitarians um, serving in churches out west. But the gentlemen who had been serving out east didn't want to travel out there. They thought it would be too uncomfortable. And so they started to um, recruit women to be ministers. And in fact, our Unitarian and Universalist ministers were some of the very first women ministers in the country. One of the places my friend Florence served um, the longest was a place called Kenosha, Wisconsin. And it's a place on one of the Great Lakes, Lake Michigan. And you can kind of see what the landscape looks like there. And at the time, Florence moved there about in 1901. And the way she got around town was usually by streetcars. But one of the reasons they wanted women to be ministers is that a lot of the gentlemen who had served as ministers didn't want to go visit people in their homes or do what we now call pastoral care. They didn't want to hold the hands of a person who was dying. They really saw their work as very academic and they did a lot of research and they often said that their work was to be in their study, writing their sermons, and they also did a weekly lecture. And that was their main function as Unitarian Universalist, Unitarian and Universalist ministers. So the women who were recruited really did a combination of teaching, directing the choir, being pastoral care leaders, as well as service leaders. And so when Florence came to this place you know, that has this beautiful landscape, they had these streetcars, but it didn't reach all the people that she wanted to serve. And the fun thing is that if you're ever in Kenosha, they have remodeled the streetcars and made replicas and you can go ride them today. These are the current ones modeled after the ones from the time she was there. Now, Florence was a scientist I mentioned first, and she was a science teacher and she loved to go bird watching. And birds, you know, studying nature was a big part of what she did. In fact, not only had she been a teacher, she had gotten not just a bachelor's degree, but a master's degree in the late 1800s. And um, that was very unusual for anyone to have that much education, um, especially a woman. And so that was a pretty exciting part of her life. And she continued that when she was a minister. And here she is out on the shores of Lake Michigan with her friends, Marilyn Murdoch, who was another Unitarian minister. And then um, Mrs. Thayers. And sometimes they would go birding with um, Mr. and Mrs. Simmons of Simmons Mattress. You may have heard of the Simmons Mattresses. And they were all friends and they would go birding. And Mr. Simmons used to write in his journal about what a red letter day they had out birding together. And you can see here's, here's the picture on the left is, is the one from probably about 1901. And the one on the, on the right is about um, 120 years later. 
from the same area. Now, this is a drawing I did of Florence, um, trying to imagine what she would have liked, looked like when she was a little bit younger. And this is her friend, uh, Marianne Murdoch, um, and they were ministers together and they lived together um, ever since they met in Kalamazoo and occasionally they got to serve together. But can you see this landscape? How would you get around? You couldn't take a, a streetcar there. And so Florence really thought it was important not just to serve the people in town, but to serve the people in the whole area. And she also was really famous for giving a lot of lectures about why it was important for all people of all races to be educated, as well as all women to be educated and all women to be able to vote. So she got a horse and her horse's name was Ned. And Ned was her partner in ministry. And a lot of times the people on the board of trustees where Florence served were amazed by how many children and teenagers and even very young adults came to her church school. In fact, it was far bigger the number of youth than it was the number of adults that came. And Florence really thought it was important that you could go anywhere if you had a good education. And she didn't think it mattered what color your skin was or where your grandparents came from or what language they spoke. She thought everyone needed education and she had a message to send. And so that message needed to be taken out into the world of the people. And so Ned helped her. Now, the other thing Florence was famous for was writing lots of plays and doing pageants. And she loved to use pictures in her teaching now, doesn't that sound simple? Like, of course she used pictures, right? Nobody did that then. Nobody had pictures to illustrate what they were teaching about. People didn't have special songs. Well, Florence helped edit the Beacon Hymnal and she wrote, she wrote a book called The Story of Jesus because she saw Jesus as a really progressive liberal you know, justice dude. She, she really liked him and thought his message was radical. So she wrote a book about that to help teach adults and children all about what he did. And so she shared her deep love of nature. She loved having poetry and she loved bringing all these aspects to children and youth. And in fact, the churches that she helped build still do all those things today. But I really think Ned was a big part of her success because people wanted to come and pet Ned. And sometimes Ned would get real excited when he saw her. He was kept behind the houses where she rented a room and he would smell her bringing apples and he would get really happy and he wanted to help her. And I almost could hear Ned saying, oh, I see her approaching the stable. Oh, she's coming from the back of the pretty white house. And then she would have golden hair, you know, and her hair was long, but she would wear it up, you know, and um, she would rub his muzzle and give him apple slices. And he would say, it's time to visit the Unitarians. And so she had her silverly golden hair and she would climb up on Ned with her big skirts and she would ride around town and the children would come and pet Ned. And she didn't just let children whose families, you know, were 
were having extra free time and stuff come play with Ned or come to her church school, she was really concerned. There were a lot of children working in factories then, and it was very dangerous. And she wanted to help them get better jobs and be able to take better care of themselves. So she invited them to her church school and said everyone was welcome. And she would remind everyone, Ned, we have to teach them that to be the best sort of people, we help them do their best. Ned loved riding on around with Florence and he would go with her to visit all kinds of people. And he would stand outside the church until religious education is done. And you can see he was standing outside different schools that she would, she would be putting on these pageants. That's Florence putting on a, a play. And so as you go to your religious education classes now, I just want you to go ask them if maybe you could get a horse. They might say no, but who knows? You know, you could tell them how successful that was and it helped them learn very well at the churches that my friend Florence Buck served. Okay, I put this in the same presentation. So I'm going to fly through those first slides real quick as you learn about Florence. So today's sermon is called Bucking the Patriarchy. And I'm going to invite you to think about what it might have felt like to be Florence Buck. And as I like to say, sometimes you have to say, Buck it. Between seminary and serving at Bradford UU in Kenosha, Wisconsin, I became really interested in this woman who had served Bradford from 1901 to 1910. And I'm also originally from Detroit, and so I knew all about Kalamazoo, Michigan, and the places that she served early on. I also appreciated Florence because I identify Florence as queer, even though she never used that word. And that wouldn't have been a common word for a, a woman, especially to use back then. I've heard that she said she had what was called a Boston marriage, um, but I haven't found evidence of that. But this, this figure that was um, a previous minister of the church became someone I was interested in. And then, um, and then she became my friend and maybe she'll become yours today. 
So in my research, I discovered that Florence Buck addressed lots of anti-racist ideas when people barely acknowledged the topic, especially amongst the suffragettes. There was in, certainly a divide amongst even our Unitarian and Universalist suffragettes, some of which who thought it was really important only to vote, promote voting for white women, and some of which who thought it was just as important to, to promote abolition, and equality for all races, as well as education and voting for all races. I also loved how Reverend Buck incorporated education and faith formation into all of her work. And I'm gonna tell you about where that went. So um, the other thing that I discovered about Florence Buck is that she really is one of our most um, she was one of our most um, outgoing, um, leading professionals in our field, but she really is hardly known and rarely referred to. And I'll talk about why. She was a talented musician. She was an author. Um, she just, she had some amazing roles, but we rarely talk about her. Now she was um, raised as a Methodist and then she um, decided that maybe the Methodist way wasn't all suited for her, but she was well into her thirties before she went and tried out the Unitarian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, where Marion Murdoch was preaching with Carolyn Bartlett. And not only did Florence Buck fall in love with Unitarian faith, she fell in love with Marianne Murdoch too. And I um, evidenced that by letters that she wrote back and forth and letters that Marianne Murdoch wrote, kind of what, if we would have had a bishop, it would have been Jenkins Lloyd-Jones, I think. And he was um, at a very big church in Chicago and he was um, really helping to recruit all the women ministers. And there's a lovely note that Marion writes to Jenkins Lloyd-Jones requesting a cozy room in a faraway farmhouse for she and Florence to share at the Religious Education Institute. Marion was um, older than Florence and um, right after they met, they went on what feels like to me one of those early dating kinds of trips where they travel through Michigan and Illinois and then they go to Iowa to see where Marion was, was born and raised and they show each other all their favorite places as they go. Florence Buck already had a master's degree when she went to seminary and um, she was then ordained at the Parliament of World Religions, which was a big deal. And so in 1893, she was ordained and Antoinette Blackwell, the first woman ordained in ministry, um, attended as well as seven other powerful women ministers. And in this picture here, you can see this is all men in the background and then the seven women are in the foreground there. The first place that they pastored together was in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, they held their pastorate together. And it was really interesting because the only time I ever saw women ministers referred to as reverend or pastor instead of miss um, was when a woman was writing an article about them and the rest of the time men referred to them as miss. 
And one of the reporters in the women's section of the paper asked Florence if um, it took two women to make one male minister. And Miss Buck said to the writer, I think it takes two persons to make one good pastor. We find that we can accomplish more good by working together than either of us could by, by working alone. And so she talked about how hard the, the work of the church was and that two people were better than one. But again, I want you to think about how did that feel to have all that education and all that experience and, and then be told, well, really, are you half a person? And I ask you, have you ever felt that way about anything in your life? Have you ever felt like people were underestimating how much you knew? Indeed, Florence Buck was bucking trends by being a woman minister. Florence Buck's ideas were big from the start. She started writing about the need to have Unitarian mega churches and bucking the trend of only having small churches. Now you would think that probably would have been a popular idea, but the Unitarian leadership of men told her that was ridiculous and that Unitarians should always have a smaller place amongst the popularity of religion and that they should keep their message contained. She really didn't like that idea and she thought everyone should know about this amazing faith that really opened people up to learning on their own and then making their own decisions about what they believed in and how frustrating it must have been to have to keep telling boards of trustees that over and over. She also told boards of trustees over and over how important it was to have a qualified religious educator. In fact, in the board minutes at one of the churches she served in California, she writes, if you really wanna grow this church, you would hire a qualified religious educator far before you hired a minister. That's how you grow a church. I came to realize many of the ideas that we attribute to Sophia Faz, if you've heard that name, are actually ideas rooted in Florence Buck theology. Florence Buck's writings though are more difficult to assess. Little of it is credited under her own name, but only accessible by tracing where she was and then looking through the documents that came out at those events. Buck makes, Buck makes an appeal for us to stop Unitarians from supporting missionaries too. Now, when she was lecturing here at this building, the Kemper Center in Kenosha, Wisconsin, she says, stop aiming for a conversion of their faith to our own. Do not think of ourselves as superior to other faiths or other nations. Can you imagine how angry she was that she may have happened upon colleagues usually male colleagues all talking about how much smarter they were than the Catholics or the Baptists. She didn't think we were necessarily smarter. She just thought Unitarianism was a great opportunity for people. In 1919, she wrote an address. This is one of the homes she lived in. She rented a room. She didn't have much money at all. She said, can you remember that when we were talking about missions, those were really in vogue in the past. And we made appeals for missions saying how we were you know, better because they were the heathen and we presented ourselves in startling contrast to the excellence of our own faith. We are presented aliens at 
their worst, ourselves at our best. This method did make us eager to help people, but it also cultivated unwarranted senses of superiority and it prevented any sense of real human brotherhood. I read that line still today and think about how upset she would be about what's going on in America these days. She continues, religion alone is not for blame in all of this. Also songs, stories, articles, and our common speech and life tended and still tend to cultivate in us the right at the attitude of the Pharisee who thinks God Thanks God he is not as other men. Her sentiments about races and genders being equal and all deserving of liberal faith was also apparent in her book, The Story of Jesus, where she included song lyrics about welcoming those from other nations and races. I think about how those were written before World War I. And then I realized how alone she must have felt saying these things in this era of Jim Crow laws and separate bathrooms and separate entrances. What did it feel like as she traveled all over the country making her speeches? Throughout her life, she talked about boys and girls being educated not only for religious reasons, but also for developing right attitudes of mind and spirit, and that being essential to a liberal faith. She must have been so angry that women were so often separated and kept away from education and opportunities for work. I wonder too what it felt like for Florence Buck. Here's another one of the homes she lived in on Library Square in Kenosha. And here she is out birding. She's the figure sitting down in the middle there. She had been a teacher and a principal and a scientist already. She knew all the names of all the different birds and how their bones worked and how they flew. She had her master's degree and had done postgraduate work all before entering seminary and ministry. In fact, she was so versed in Greek and Latin, she toured her Baptist and Methodist seminary students before she ever even heard of Unitarianism. She had more advanced degree work than most of her colleagues, more than Marion, more than Jenkins and Lloyd-Jones, and more than the then American Unitarian Association president, the AUA, the predecessor to the UUA, president and Reverend Samuel Elliott. By the time Buck was hired to be the associate secretary of the AUA for education, she had numerous degrees and she had already done postgraduate work at the seminary at Oxford after studying at Meadville Lombard Seminary. Buck was able to continue her ministry of education for all, but had to let some of her suffrage lectures take a back seat because her male colleagues really criticized that and told her she wouldn't get very far in ministry if she continued to make that the focus. She wrote lots of key religious education materials and columns for the religious education institutes and her methods of including art, music, drama, and teaching were revolutionary. While using pictures and songs and pageants and even educating young adults or teaching outdoors probably didn't seem like a big deal to us now, but they were brand new. And at a time of segregation and only about 20% of American children attending school Buck's church programs were regularly attended by not yet members and from children to young adults, as well as people from many tongues and many cultures. 
Though unheard of at the time, Reverend Buck made headlines when she offered a proper funeral for a man who had been an alcoholic in this church that she helped build with Zaman Simmons, one of her major donors, who I again said was of Simmons Mat Mattress Factory. They built this little Gothic church from a little wood one that had stood there in the country. She said, one's goodness should be shown not alone by how they treat their family and their neighbors and their friends, but also by how they treat the more remote, the worker, the poor, the foreigner, and yes, even the criminal and the outcast. Not only did Buck queer our faith, and by that I mean turn it over and look at it a new way, she saw no reason to bend to the conventions of marrying a man or being alone. As intimate life partners, Reverend Florence Buck and Marianne Murdoch traveled the globe and they worked together in Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, California, and Massachusetts during their 35 years together. They wrote their beginning intention was the desire to always remain together and the church that calls one must call the other. However, Cleveland, Ohio was the only time they held a true co-ministry. And then you can see Florence wrote very, very lovely um, letters. And I always think of Marion as the one who would have hit reply all to things and was very dramatic and um, had a lot of color in her language. But Florence wrote letters saying how important it was to really honor people who were heroes from different walks of life. And that's what this letter is behind me right now. And I wonder, Florence, what it, what it felt like. You know, were you hurt and were you alone, Florence? Did you feel like you were the only one speaking up for these justice activities? I wonder what that felt like back then. I wonder what it felt like to be one of the only women who had helped to build a whole new church and guide that process of building back in 1905 to 1908. I wonder what it felt like to be advocating for education and fun in church at a time when it was often thought of as very serious. To be an author of a book, to have edited the hymnals, to be the first honorary doctorate from Meadville Seminary given to a woman. What did that feel like? She had so many firsts. It's a huge list. And Sadly, Florence Buck died at age 65 of typhoid fever, which was pretty unusual to die of in that time. When I went through her seminary papers, I found a small card in her ministry file that's held at Harvard. And a Reverend Samuel Weems wrote this little note. And Samuel Weems was a historian and a minister at five black Baptist churches in Boston. And he wrote to the AUA after Florence Buck died. And he let them know that they were naming one of their chapels after Florence Buck for all the time she spent in his churches teaching children in black neighborhoods in Boston. So she was the associate secretary of the AUA. She was traveling all over and she still took time to go teach Sunday school at these black Baptist churches. Now that sounds nice. But I also imagine what did that feel like then when that was so unusual to go and be standing up like that as this prim and proper lady with her golden hair walking into the black neighborhoods around Cambridge and reading headlines as she read the morning newspaper about lynchings and anti-Semitism, 
post-World War I. And yet she believed everyone deserved a liberal Christian education and a liberal ch Christian church as our forms of liberation. And yet board minutes are full of Florence Bach being talked to about people thinking that a man should deliver more sermons or why isn't she showing up to certain things and doing certain things and joining certain clubs when she was paid a fraction of what the male ministers were paid? How did that feel, Florence? Florence Buck was willing to turn every notion of how to be a minister, how to educate, and even who to admire on its head. She was queering our faith, turning it over and looking at it a new way over 100 years ago. So if you ever feel lonely for doing this work, think about Florence on your shoulder. You may never get all the credit. You may never live in the fear that Florence Buck did. And yet every day I have to think that she just said, bucket. I invite you to say bucket when you feel alone and doing things that are right conduct and right service and being of right character. Think of her as you inspire others to act out our faith.
Here we go. Thank you, Marilyn. As we begin our offering this morning, there are three ways you can donate, as you can see in the chat line. You can always mail a check to the church. On our website, you can click on the donate button and you can send a text message. Again, those are in the chat line. It is said we love a cheerful giver, yet we'll accept from a grouch as well. May each of us look into our, not just our wallets or our checkbooks to see how much we have. Let us also look into our hearts and see what is available there. How much love, how much generosity, how much gratitude, how much hope. And let us take our offering from that account. May we be committed to using these gifts to making a difference in the world, to increase love and justice, to decrease hatred and oppression, to expand beloved community, to share and to keep sharing as long as ever we can. Your gifts are gratefully received. There's a river flown in my soul is a sweet song to sing together, but it's also a radical statement of inherent worth and dignity. According to our hymnal, it was written by Rose Sanders, now known by the African name Faya Rose Touré. Born in 1945, she's a Harvard-educated civil rights activist and lawyer, and Alabama's first African-American woman judge. Please join Taylor Smith and Marilyn Garst as they lead us in singing, There's a River Flowing in My Soul.
And now as we, as we prepare to close our service, remember that you're invited to join one of our small breakout groups and visit with one another right after our recessional music. And if you haven't yet completed the very short survey that our search team created about what you'd like to see in the new Director of Faith Formation, you'll find a link in the chat line. The search team says a big thanks to those who've already completed the survey, and they'd love to hear from everyone what your thoughts are. As we extinguish our chalice, our words of benediction are from Reverend Dr. Florence Buck, adapted by Reverend Denise M. Colley. We extinguish this flame, taking its spark into our whole life. These principles have scarcely begun in the world at large. Even when the democratic aim has reached its highest, it may still be improved and must always be maintained. We carry this light when putting our faith into action. May it be so. Amen. Blessed be you.